Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution. I'm your humble host, Amrit Sandhu, and you're tuning in to a conscious conversation designed to help you grow. Our mission here is simple. It's for you to live your purpose, live your best life, live the life you love. This podcast is sponsored by Enthusiasm for Life, by great creation itself. Keep the good vibes flowing for myself and yourself. Do us a solid. Subscribe to the Inspired Evolution podcast on YouTube, the home of the Inspired Evolution podcast. Now sit back, relax, open your mind, open your heart to this conversation and stay inspired. Keep evolving. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution, and it is a treat to be here today. We've got with us Daniel Pinchback. Daniel, how are you, brother? I'm good. That was quite a yelp. <laughs> if you haven't had your morning coffee, you have now, I guess. <laughs> for those tuning in to Daniel for the first time, he is an author and a thinker. His books famously include Breaking Open the Head, The Return of Quetzalcoatl, Notes from the Edge of Time, and How Soon Is Now. His new book is dedicated to When Plants Dream. Um, he hosts a talk show, Mind Shift, on Gaia TV. He's the co-founder of the web magazine, Reality Sandwich, and Evolver.net. He was featured in his 2010 documentary, 2012, A Time for Change. Your work has been dedicated to transformation on a planetary level. It is such a pleasure to have you here, Daniel. Thank you so much for doing this with us here today. No, thanks for chatting. So I wanted to tune in um, straight out of the gate. I know that this is going to be a deep conversation. We're probably not going to fluff around at the surface for a long time. So let's just go there. Rites of passages, what are they? Why are they so important? And where did they go? So there's many questions in there, but let's start with what are they? Uh, okay, sure. I mean, um, 
around the world, you have, um, you know, indigenous cultures and generally, particularly for men, but, but often for women also, uh, there's a period in, you know, young male adulthood or adolescence where they kind of separate off from the community and they go through a set of experiences that can be very arduous. They can include like fastings and walkabouts and eating, you know, bunches of peyote or ayahuasca or whatever. Uh, and then, so, so yeah, so they go through kind of an initiation process uh, and they have visions and then they tell the, you know, kind of elders of the tribe of the community, what their visions are. And, and those visions are kind of honored. They're, they're welcomed back into the community. Uh, and in a lot of cultures, as I said, particularly for men, it's not really thought that you can be like a fully adult person until you've gone through some type of uh, initiation. And what's the thinking behind there? Why are you not a fully adult person um, until you've had a rite of passage? Is there, does that bleed into why, like, why are they so important? Why are these rite of passages so important for us to be identified as um, fully functioning adults within a society? Well, I think if we look around, you know, modern culture, which doesn't have that type of initiation, uh, we really see the difference. I mean, I think the idea was that um, you needed to get out of your ego to have a understanding, like a lived direct experience of, uh, you know, transpersonal consciousness um, so that you weren't so addicted and hooked on your ego. You kind mm -hmm. of would recognize, and, you know, some people like uh, Joseph Chilton Pierce argues that this might have actually almost had like a neurological function that's like a new like it's like a neurological reset or something mm -hmm. but yeah, I think we see in our society because we don't have um you know we, we don't have anything like a shamanic you know practice or whatever but people get particularly men tend to get trapped in their ego then they seek sort of limited egoic rewards um and those become they kind of like take over you know like whether it's wealth or power or manipulation or whatever yeah it's interesting because reading into reading your books it it's sort of from this simple ceremonial loss let's just call it that um we've drawn some parallels that actually that bleeds into some of the the i don't want to say rot but <laughs> um capitalism gone mad or materialism gone mad i would say um and yeah it's left unchecked these egos we kind of uh i i feel like that's sort of an argument for the hedonism that sort of follows follows materialism um that runs rampant in that we see present in today's world is that a safe parallel that i've drawn or do you feel the same way um or, yeah yeah cool so why did we lose um these rites of passages in your opinion, like what, what happened there? Where did they go if they were so fundamental to our development as going from, yeah, being a child to an adult um, and running the risk of having the world run by our children? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's something I've, I've looked at a lot and a lot of authors, other authors have also kind of thought about, but I mean, it seems like something happened um, kind of with uh, Christianity um, mm -hmm. Maybe before, but there was a kind of a shift from, uh, I mean, people talk about, you know, Gnosticism as like a heretical sect of Christianity, but, but actually it seems more likely that the Gnostics were people who had a connection to like these older, like pagan uh, mystery school traditions, like the mm -hmm. Eleusinian mysteries uh, were probably a place where everybody from the classical world would go and drink like a psychedelic uh, drink called the Kaikion. And they'd sort of be, you know, collectively they would go through this kind of transpersonal 
consciousness experience. Uh, but you know, the, the problem is that that type of society is more sort of horizontal because the idea is that everybody seeks you know divine knowledge, inspiration for themselves. So we, um, you know, as the priests became powerful uh, and sort of you know Rome and and the church kind of merged, um, the, the 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 sort of you know ruling class sort of decided that they would move from initiation to indoctrination. So instead of giving everybody the tools to become self-realized to some extent, the idea was that sacred knowledge was then held only by a small, you know, elite class of priests. I mean, they were the only ones who could even read the Bible eventually in Latin. Mm-hmm. And um, everybody else was just supposed to have faith. Like, you, were, you know, you're, you're supposed to believe that if you believed in, you know, Jesus's divinity, you know, that meant that you were saved, you know, whereas actually, um, I mean, one very interesting book around this topic is, is not in his image by John Lash about Gnosticism, but yeah. So if you look at the Gnostic gospels, which were actually, it seems like they were gospels that were just as original as the ones that ended up in the Bible about Jesus, but they got chopped because they didn't fit the, the, the new paradigm that the church was trying to establish. <laughs> So Jesus says, like, open the doors for yourself so you, you'll know what is. So it's a much more Gnostic idea. Jesus was actually not telling everyone to just believe in his divinity, but he was saying you were all the sons of the Father, you know, by uh, opening the door for yourselves, you, know, you can have the same type of consciousness. And, um, um, yeah, so that's, that, that, that's kind of it. I mean, another whole question, you know, there's people who believe that there was actually a um, – psychedelic mushroom cults uh, at the origin of Christianity. Like John Allegro was a Princeton art historian wrote a book called The Sacred Mushroom of the Cross. And he, he found a lot of early Christian iconography that sort of hides uh, mushrooms in it as if they were talking to initiates saying, this is actually the sacrament, you know, not just, you know, the, uh, the wafer. You know? Yeah, right. So at the heart of most uh, rites of passages, are these psychedelic experiences or is it just a... No. Or is it? Yeah, go we can't on. say. I mean, there are definitely cultures that um, have a similar type of construct without them. So, mm-hmm. like the you know the Eskimos, you know the North American, you know indigenous in the North, didn't really have access to these types of psychedelic plants. Um, mm-hmm. They have like Australian Aboriginals, although now it seems we're learning that maybe they used acacia, which which uh, when it's burned releases DMT, so they may have some some access to it. But it's, there, there are many cultures around the world which which didn't have it and also you know maybe didn't need it because mm. they had other ways of getting connected I mean, I was very privileged to uh host a couple of kind of uh retreats with people from the kogi and the arawak uh tribes uh, cultures in, in colombia and they actually uh the men use coca leaves uh, as their as their sacrament um, which isn't so psychedelic, but um, they believe that used properly, it uh, you know helps you to actually connect with your truth. Right, and is there a bit of a renaissance around such tools around rites of passages in the world right now? Do you believe? And if so, why now? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, there's a you know explosion of interest in uh, psychedelics happening. I mean, it's it's interesting for me because when I wrote. My first book, which came out in 2002, which kind of predated the new psychedelic movement, was called Breaking Open the Head. Mm-hmm. And um, when that book came out, I mean, in the book, I was like, wow, I think we really need to, you know, more people need to take these. I mean, basically, you know, psychedelics crescendoed in the 60s. 
uh, late 60s, they started to be outlawed and repressed. Uh, the, the governments of the US and elsewhere began to connect them with other movements of, of liberation, uh, the green movement um, and so on, uh, and uh, saw them as a danger, as a threat to society. So they were totally repressed for like, I don't know, 35 years to the point where there was like even no scientific studies done with, with people. And if you look at back in the sixties, which I wrote about in Breaking Open the Head, mm -hmm. these substances were considered by like, you know, the top psychologists, psychiatrists to be the most amazing things that they just ever discovered, that they allowed us new access to understanding all these different dimensions of, of the human psyche that we didn't know about. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that, that whole thing was just closed down uh, until the last, you know, 15 years-ish, you know. And I think that my book was one of the books, you know, because it came out from Random House, it got reviewed in the Times and, you know, sold a certain number of copies that helped to begin to kind of shift the mainstream consciousness around these things. And there were other books and other movies. Then the whole thing just started to snowball. And, and now um, it's, you know, explosive. I mean, there are people, um, there's like 400 companies now that are, that are getting ready to do... Um, Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Psychedelic therapy, um, ketamine's been legalized, uh, you know, different psychedelics are getting decriminalized in different, in different states and, and counties. What do and you think? Sorry right. to interrupt you. My apologies. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, so what do you think is actually like the the state of the world or the collective evolution that we're kind of going through that it's calling in this renaissance? Um, if we can dig that deep, um, almost like energetically, like what do you think is going on that's calling in a state of revival for rites of passages as such as the ones you're describing? Well, I mean, you know, I, I think in some ways it's just a um, inevitable, uh, natural kind of evolutionary process. Um, right. as, um, you know, as I said, I'm describing this development, we had like, um, you know, Christianity repressed a visionary experience and demonized, like, you know, when they did the Inquisition, like the 15th, 16th century, they went after people who either used uh, native plants in Europe or who naturally possessed the ability to like vision other dimensions or reach these other states of consciousness. So, so that, then we had the scientific, you know, industrial revolution, the scientific revolution, and the whole focus of Western society for hundreds of years was on, you know, left brain, rationalism, materialism, um, science, technology, and industry. 
And then finally, starting in the 40s, you know, with the discovery of LSD and then the, the rediscovery of psilocybin and peyote uh, and ayahuasca, then this kind of opened these doors in the Western rational worldview. Um, and then that was too much at that time. So it got suppressed and was pushed underground with different, you know, times when it would sort of come up in the rave culture in the 90s or whatever. But now like a whole generation has matured, like the generation that began with those substances in the 60s, like the teen who were teenagers back then, or now the baby boomers were, you know, running, you know, society and running medical colleges and so on. So it's time for our society to kind of be able to reintegrate these things and, and really try to understand what, what their value is and what they, what they can do. Awesome. And so one of the things I hear in your books a lot is, uh, I guess the trajectory that the human species is on and kind of, you know, there's these, uh, well, we can look at what's happening on with the climate as one thing. We can also look at how we're destabilizing a lot of our financial structures right now. Um, as another thing, um, it seems like the world is at a, interesting way to put it, but at a bit of an edge, um, probably not the right exact language, but I think it conveys kind of the, the notion of what I've picked up from your writing. Um, what is this? Like you, you, I think you allude to it as a potential time for transformation. Um, what, like when you say, well, when I feel into it, there's potentially we can go either left or right. Um, where left may not be supportive for the for the outcome of humanity, whereas right is actually we flourish. Can you describe what happens if we sort of don't reinvent ourselves as a species? Where do we actually, like, what are some of your fears that are in there? That um, And then potentially where can we go with this reinvention and potentially introducing some of these writer passages and actually following the evolution of consciousness? Uh, yeah, thanks for the, the, the deep, earnest questions. Uh, you know, I never know what I'm going to get with a podcast. That's why I kind of like to not ask so much of that. I'm just kind of curious like, about what I think, whatever. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, um, I mean, it's obviously not just what I think. I mean, it's like, you know, a lot of, of people sharing these, these deep concerns. I mean, mm. you know, I mean, I mean, we're basically what we're seeing right now. Uh, where do you live, by the way? Uh, here in Melbourne, in Australia. Yeah. Oh, Australia. Okay, yeah. Well, you've had huge forest fires all over Australia, and you know, obviously the horrible lockdowns. But uh, you know, all over the world, we're seeing you know massive forest fires, and um, you know, forest fires obviously release a lot of CO two in into the atmosphere, and the um, you know kind of the forests are carbon sinks. So as we lose them. Uh, we're not holding as much carbon. So, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. There's still a lot of um, climate deniers in different areas, mm -hmm. including kind of the libertarian community and so on. People just don't even think about it. Um, but, um, it, it, you know, it, it, it does seem possible. I mean, on the, on the you know, most dire and extreme possibility is that it's already too late and we've already mm -hmm. sealed our own doom and, and extinction is coming. Uh, you know, phys physical extinction is coming. Maybe, maybe small groups will survive, you know, underground or in domed cities or in the tops of distant mountains or something. But I mean, um, you know, what you know, we've seen in these past, you know, kind of extinction cycles, that there's a kind of acceleration, uh, feedback loops kind of all, all work together. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, even though we've had some warm up to know that this was coming, yeah, we haven't really been able to change our 
direction. And if anything, we seem to be still even now accelerating in the wrong direction. And you know, the 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 reason, you know, the reason, I mean, the basic reason for that is we all want lives of comfort and joy. And unfortunately, you know, particularly if you live in a cold climate or whatever, a lot of that comes from, you know, fossil fuel based things. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. even our agriculture is fossil fuels. I mean, our medicines are are, are fossil fuels. You know, our smartphones and the, the, all the equipment that we're using now. It's, it's, you know, so rare minerals, fossil fuels. I mean, every, everything that has allowed us to reach this contemporary lifestyle has had a destructive impact on the environment. And um, yeah, it seems like we're reaching a point where, um, you know, we have to break out of the cycle of extraction, but um, it's almost impossible to do that within capitalism, you know, because basically... Mm companies you know if they're publicly traded they have a fiduciary re responsibility to their shareholders to maximize short-term financial gain so that means they are forced almost like you know robots or something to um, kind of ignore environmental externalities uh, corrupt governments and so on so um, so yeah so we're sort of locked we're, you know at the moment we're sort of locked into this capitalist paradigm and it's but there's still such a deep abiding faith and individuality and individual progress and you know wealth creation private wealth creation as being a good thing that it doesn't feel that we're very close to, to reckoning with the types of changes that we would have to make um on a species level which is kind of what i tried to outline and how soon is now so i can't say that i'm extremely optimistic at this point but on the other hand sometimes crisis comes and then you know everybody has to change even if they didn't expect to change yeah you know? yeah so one of the things thank you so much for sharing that by the way um one of the things that um yeah that is then like uh, possible to pick as a thread from your writing for me personally is and i found this to be quite a thought-provoking conversation um and the fact that you had yeah um memorialized it in in writing is uh is the fact that yeah a lot of this breakdown that we're feeling and seeing and witnessing um could be i say will be but is be but potentially could be synonymous with you know some of the discomfort that you described earlier uh that we go through if we have individual rites of passages which potentially a lot of us are not connected to anymore um but witnessing the rite of potentially this is a planetary rite of passage um, for us to actually take society to a whole nother level, which actually requires a shift, a paradigm shift, probably even if I can go that far um, at the risk of sounding cliche for our level of consciousness. Yeah. I mean, um, that's, that's really, it seems like you got the, you got the idea. I mean, uh, you know, but you know, now we're seeing more people go through like, you know, efforts towards self-initiation, whether through meditation or through shamanism or um, yoga or whatever, but um, it, it often still gets assimilated back into an individualist and capitalist paradigm, you know, mm -hmm. where um, like Joe Dispenza or something, I mean, it's still, or the, the secret, you know, the manifestation, mm -hmm. like it's still this idea that it's all about our, our individual success. And, you know, I'm not saying that I'm outside of this. Like I feel very, um, in a way, alienated. I don't feel part of like, you know, community the way I'd like to be. I mean, I think a lot about, um, you know, um, 
Um, a professor who was talking about the Australian Aboriginals and apparently like uh, documentary filmmakers wanted to make a film of this Aboriginal group, but they decided to do it in collaboration with them. So they showed them all these different documentaries and they were like, okay, well, how do you want us to make a film about you? And the Aboriginal said, we don't want there to be any close-ups in the film. We want the whole community to be visible in every shot of the film. So that's the way they made the film. It's a wide angle, you know, shot and the whole community is there and then some, you know, talking or whatever. But so that's so different. I mean, we're just, we're just, you know, we've developed a mindset that that's very individualistic um, and, um, you know, without tremendous crisis and, and suffering, it's, it's hard to see how we, we you know, break, really break out of that. Mm. And that, because that's one of the things you mentioned about rites of passages that I don't think we captured in the podcast is, um, is you transcend your level of ego um, and you start looking instead of this me conversation, it becomes a much more we conversation having gone through um, the transition. I think eloquently put um, watching some of your talks, I think there was a talk you did at Mind Valley and it was all about transcending competition for cooperation, um, which is kind of, I guess I could use that as a segue to ask the the question of, you know, you put it so eloquently in that, you know, capitalism may just be a transitional structure, which even just that I found really inspiring to just think about. Um, yeah. And I know that, you know, I'm not here to throw goop on, uh, on capitalism. There's a lot of great things it's done for us, but, um, thinking about it as a transitional structure, then sort of giving, you know, us the idea of, okay, it is heavily based on competition, what does a future based on cooperation look like? And I know you've done a lot of talks on the importance of art. Um, is that potentially why art is so intriguing to you because it is more of a cooperative force? What does the future look like if we are to transcend competition into cooperation? Is it something that potentially is even that far like away from our innate being, you know, like are we naturally cooperative anyway? What are you like? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, um, you know, most of our, uh, human, you know, the, the, most of the the time that humans have existed, we've been, you know, in communities, indigenous, tribal people, and that's actually much more of our natural way. Mm. Um, and um, yeah, so you know that that you know that that would you know when we're forced into it, we might be able to pick that back up. You know, it might it might be really built into our sort of you know subconscious DNA structures or something. Um, but I mean, um, you know. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, I've, I've been looking at uh, the P2P Foundation. Uh, they just published uh, an interesting uh, paper report, uh, kind of looking at uh, community-based, uh, you know, peer production uh, as a model for the future. You know, so um, I mean, it's you know radically different. You know, it's, it would be like, uh, you know, it would, it would really be embodying this idea that we're all in it together. There's no other. That um, you know, and you know, but I mean, I, I could see ways that this could start to happen. Um, in that, you know, we we might start to see, and we you know, where the, the pandemic is obviously in a crazy place right now. But we don't know what comes next. Uh, it, it may be that, like you know, traveling around the world at a drop of a hat uh, no longer becomes feasible. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it may be that we have to source more of our food locally and, and grow mm-hmm. if we're in an urban environment grow like rooftop gardens and be involved actually tangibly and you know stuff like that you know figuring out how to make energy you know at a lesser intensity intensity you know but from more renewable sources um i mean that could you know it could unlock a lot of ingenuity in, in a totally different direction i mean it's um you know i'm, I'm interested in terms of the blockchain world 
this whole idea of the DAOs, the distributed autonomous organizations, mm. and if those could um, be pointing towards a way that we can develop protocols and tools that, that make it much more seamless and efficient for people to, to work together, whether, whether they're with, with each other or virtually. Mm, I love that. It does seem to have this embedded sense of greater responsibility for the individual in there, um, which I think is, again, sorry, there is a lot of this conversation pinning on the rite of passages that we've discussed, um, but also noting that, um, yeah, there is an element, and I'm just going to kind of go there in this conversation, that uh, if we're transcending from the me to we, there is a lot of people in power that are still me-centric. Um, and that is probably where some of the cracks in society have been already presenting, would you say, and potentially how we're starting to realise that actually we do need to transcend the current structures, if anything, at least just to sort of, displace power and bring it back into the hands of the of the everyday person but that requires greater responsibility in the hands of the everyday person would you say oh yeah i mean that's you know it, it, it it's a whole turning around and reframing you know like um um you know i mean i mean i, ma I made a practical effort years ago to create like a sort of a network of local community groups uh, <laughs> empowering local leaders and you know it got to a certain point then for various uh, reasons it kind of collapsed, but I, I keep thinking about that still because I mean, you know, I feel like, you know, yeah, we need to generate people power. I mean, even in the 60s, they talked about, you know, uh, consciousness raising was a basic idea of like movement building. Like you get people together to talk about their shared interests and concerns. And, you know, there have been different little movements that have been trying to do this, whether it was the Occupy movement or Transition Town, which was a very interesting kind of permaculture-based model coming out of England, but they don't seem to scale just because, you know, we're all locked into the system and we wake up every morning and we're like, you know, shoot, I have to make, you know, $3,000 to pay off my loans and my, mm. you know, my, my daughter's school bill and all that stuff. So it's like, we're, we're in a system that really keeps us locked um, down, you know? Um, yeah, in, in in the in the in, in this, you know, most people are just struggling to to keep it going, you know. In, in a, in a, in a, and, it, and it is very interesting if you step back and you think about it, because like, um, you know, when we started developing all this technology, you would have thought at some point it would have been so that people could have to work less. Like back in the forties, you know, most families only the husband worked, the wife, you know, you know that wasn't very feminist or liberated, but but one mm -hmm. one parent work and out of that income they would have enough to take care of a middle-class family you know mm -hmm. now you have you know both parents working and in countries like the u.s they're still going deeper and deeper into debt on the average yeah, able to yeah extraction of of, of uh, capital and potentiality up to the top of the pyramid that somehow hasn't been kind of um you know obvious enough or or, or that, that it's created a uh, large enough kind of resistance. Like most people still go along with it. I mean, I think the uh, the ideology of private wealth is so powerful that most people think, oh, like I'm not wealthy this year, but next year I'm gonna pick the next crypto and I'll get wealthy or I'll get the lottery ticket or, you know, I'll get the acting role and that soap opera or whatever. So, um, you know, so we all look at the lucky winners and we kind of feel that that's probably gonna be us. Um, you know, ra rather than people coming together and creating uh, shared power, you know, that, that, would, that would be the alternative, you know, even if it's not quite as glamorous, you know. Yeah. And I think as you described that, um, 
I'm noticing even in myself an uncertainty in terms of what that even potentially looks like. Um, and maybe this is too left field to sort of segue neatly into this conversation. But, you know, one of the things I noticed in here in Australia, we're a very fortunate country, touch wood. Uh, but even things like the, the pandemic, like we had the government handing out money to pretty much everybody that was running a business um, in some form, shape or manner. Um, and obviously it's taxpayer generated income, but there was money going back into the hands from the system. Um, and it really, you know, I've often just sat and wondered what a universal basic income would do for a society. Obviously crime rates is like a low hanging fruit where you can sort of just go, Oh, I wonder what would happen to that. But then collectively as well, when you think about creativity, you know, people's autonomy and the things that we actually, you know, a big part of what I do as a purpose coach, you know, start thinking about, you know, what would a world of people just doing what they love doing look like, you know, rather than having to, you know, break, uh, you know, basically hustle to make a dollar to break bread. Um, yeah, it opens up a whole new can of worms for me, uh, but potentially a can of butterflies. <laughs> um, but yeah, do you like, are these some of the instruments that you, you think about in terms of, you know, what, what are some of the, yeah, like what is something like universal basic income mean to you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, more and more, I think that the best um, option to kind of orchestrate some larger uh, social movement to change the dynamics of the situation would be focused on like the idea of a post-work society uh, and um, something along the lines of universal basic income. Um, there's a book called Inventing the Future, uh, which posits that, a very interesting book. Um, and um, Andrew Yang, you know, was a very unlikely presidential candidate who got the idea mm -hmm. on the national stage here. And actually, it was amazing how much support he developed very quickly. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, there should be, you know, you call it like a freedom dividend or whatever. Like, you know, I mean, it, if, if we have a society that's able to produce enough to satisfy everybody's basic needs, then that, 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 you know, dividend should be, should be distributed so that people don't have to live in fear and insecurity. I mean, the problem is that the fear and insecurity feeds the capitalist beast, right? Because, mm -hmm. um, you know, Jeff Bezos, you know, wants to maximize profit margins. So he wants to pay workers the least and, and, and make, you know, and, and take care of them the least, um, you know, because that increases his, his um, you know, then, then he's able to buy even a bigger yacht than the $500 million yacht he can buy a, you know, $2 billion yacht or something. Um, so that's, uh, so yeah, we have like perverse incentives in the system. And the, the, the idea of a post-work uh, movement or universal basic income, I think is very, very radical because uh, what it would partially do is, is um, change the pricing for labor, you know, mm -hmm. because at the moment, you know, the jobs that are very difficult, whether it's like working in a hospice or, you know, you know, a lot of you know, the worst jobs, cleaning toilets or whatever, you know, people get paid terribly for that. Um, but if, if everybody had a basic income, then those jobs would become much more pricey than what they should be. You know? mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So I can, I can hear that there are challenges in the existing paradigm to incorporate a new paradigm, but then also the new paradigm is uh, reliant upon a lot of innovation and, yeah, potentially destabilizes the current power structure and then obviously the current power structure is in power. So there's that you know, there's this consistent catch-22. Um, yeah, but I, mean, I wonder if there's some, I've, I've often wondered if there's some way to, you know, I feel like if you could figure out a forum 
Uh, I mean, the thing is that, you know, if the environment collapses on us, which is highly likely at this point, then nobody benefits. I mean, it's not fun for the wealthy people. It's not going to be nice to live on a planet. Like, you know, their children are going to be like, you know, dad, what's up? Like 2 billion people just starved, you know, and mm -hmm. everybody in Africa is dead because it's like, you know, too hot, you know, and they're, they're going to be like, oh, I'm counting my billions. I mean, it's not a nice situation mm -hmm. for, for them either. So, I mean, um, uh, it would make most sense. And I, and I also feel the basic income is actually necessary to address the ecological crisis because we actually need, you know, as we've seen with the pandemic, you know, most of the work that people were doing was not very important. I mean, you know, trans, transporting resources, you know, extracting energy, growing food, those things are crucial, but, you know, marketing for like a mid-level, you know, accounting firm or, you know, digital this and that or whatever, a lot of that stuff is actually not very essential. So, I mean, um, if people had a basic income, then maybe they're, they're, they could be refocused on all the stuff that really needed to be done 20 years ago, but just needs to be done even more now. Like you could be, you know, in a city like New York City, if you put aquaponic gardens on every rooftop, that would be like 70% of the food that the city needs. Uh, plus it would, you know, begin to affect the albedo effect if that would happen in, in, in cities around the world, um, you know, stuff like that. You know, there's, you know, insulation. I mean, some of it says, again, it's not very glamorous. It's like, you know, that's part of it is it's like, you know, it's a shift in consciousness that nobody wants to make from endless growth and perpetual more and more freedom mm. and so on to be like, okay, actually we've, you know, we can have growth in certain areas, like in terms of our inner consciousness, you know, and, and, the, and the quality of our relationships and even experimenting with community and experimenting with, you know, different forms of love and connection. Like we could have infinite experimentation, you know, with that, mm. but we actually can't have that anymore in terms of extracting and exploiting resources because those turns out to be very finite and we've kind of hit the limit on them you know mm -hmm. so, so in those things i mean it's like um you know i mean i have like I, i'm trying to find something in an old computer i have like six old laptops or something like that you know because i mm. you know i need to stay on top and i over like 15 years or whatever what an incredible way it's like if apple hadn't been trying to maximize profits, profits. yeah they would have, they would have created component-based you know, laptops. So, you know, something that gets better, you, sh you shift it out, you know, but, but instead our, our society is based on, uh, you know, conspicuous consumption, planned obsolescence, mm. um, because that rewards, uh, you know, corporate uh, profit margins. And um, yeah, so it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's a stunning recalibration that, that we need to have. Uh, and, you know, may maybe this is the time for it. I mean, it looks like we're heading for more Close down with the pandemic, you know. Maybe, I mean, you know, maybe this is our opportunity to actually um, think some stuff through. Oh, I see you have "I Am That" on your bookshelf. That's like one of my favorite books. I love that book. <laughs> yeah, awesome. I have some other good ones. That I can yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for checking them out. I um, I wanted to check in. Like one of the other things that I noticed, um, and yeah, just sort of t going on from some of the remarkable things that happened with the pandemic. Like I know it is quite a quite an interesting time to have just witnessed what's happened in the last couple of years around the world but even just noticing like as we became local like you know one of the amazing things for me personally was like before like even burning fossil fuels like planes was not something that was ever going to stop like transport communication da, da, da. like it's a mode of transport it's a mode of people staying connected all over the world and all of a sudden it was like now nah, planes are grounded it was like what <laughs> yeah planes are grounded and it's like shit that's possible like <laughs> actually that's possible like amazing we can actually if we get together 
create some global level like mass blanket change if we're incentivized enough and this i think bleeds into potentially you know the current cataclysm if you will if you want to go that far to call it that um as being a rite of passage as a potential initiative change um witnessing what was going on and going actually this is pretty remarkable that we can shut major systems down that may potentially no longer serve us. And, you know, not saying that planes are a major contributor to this, but, you know, there is some contribution that they make to greenhouse gases and they've got dolphins. Oh, yeah, planes, are, planes are massive, massive. Uh, right. Um, and they've got dolphins and stuff swimming through rivers in like central major cities and stuff like the biodiversity, just watching nature sort of reclaim and like heal itself. And it didn't require so much of us tending to it to for it to heal even it was just like if you can just relax and just stay in your local environment and do you know less consumption like you previously were than what you previously were nature heals itself and how much and it was remarkable just leaving your home like i remember i was only allowed in australia as you alluded to before we had some really tight lockdowns uh, and we still <laughs> still kind of do um, but you're only allowed five Ks out of your home for a little while, which was amazing. I saw more people during those lockdown periods in my local environment than I did previously because before people were scattered traveling around wherever, but you only had five Ks of travel. You'd go out and you'd see people happy. Like, they were genuinely happy just walking to the park and the parks were filled with people because it was the only little time that they got to interact with each other. So yeah, it, I don't know. It's sort of really helped crystalline in my head the potential of what this global conversation that people have been having for a little while um, could potentially look like with some of the benefits that are in there but like you said it does mean sacrificing um, a lot of the the things that we've potentially started to take for granted yeah i mean um totally um i mean you said it well <laughs> <laughs> awesome daniel man is uh before i let you go there's some things that i got to tune into firstly like i just i can't thank you enough for your writing um i think you know there's a lot of bold ideas in there consistently page to page and one of the big things that happens for me is like i think a lot of us have some really big ideas um and potentially consider some of the things that you know you've mentioned in terms of holy shit, what if this is the fissure that actually causes the great healing? Um, but to, yeah, like actually put pen to paper and actually take that and actually follow the rabbit hole all the way through on such thinking um, is beyond inspirational. It's actually, um, yeah, it's it's incredible. So thank you so much for the work you've you've been doing and it's not just I'm overnight. Really like, nice to hear. Sometimes yeah. I feel like um, nobody gives a, gives a hoot. <laughs> I highly <laughs> doubt that. I doubt that your writing's very well received all over the world, but it's nice to nice to feel the humility at your end. Um, can I also, before I let you go, though, there's a question that I ask everybody, um, which is what does an inspired evolution look like for you? So for yourself, the collective humanity and the planet, whichever level, all of them, whatever is going on for you, what does when you hear the term inspired evolution um, hopefully there's some hope in there for tomorrow. What does it mean for you? What does your do you hear when you hear those hear that phrase? Um, not so much. I, gotta, <laughs> I mean, I'll think about it now. Uh, inspired evolution. I mean, um, well, I had a company called Evolver, so I mean, I think it's a useful. You know, it's similar. I mean, the, the, yeah, I guess um, yeah, it's you know more or less what we're, we're talking about. I mean, um, 
uh, I'm just, um, um, you know, I, I feel like there's kind of this, you know, postmodern, uh, you know, spiritual movement. Um, and, um, but then there's also kind of like ecolo ecological and social justice movements. And I feel that those are, you know, sort of what need to come together. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm, I often feel very disappointed by a lot of the, you know, kind of more privileged people I know who are going through their personal um, development um, and, you know, gaining a lot from indigenous practices and, and giving back for sure in certain ways. Um, but, um, you know, it's it, it still, yeah, it, feel, it feels like, um, I, I don't know, it, it, it may require like a Christ-like, Gandhi-like thing at some point where we really just like put down our, I mean, it's, um, you know, what would it be like not to just play at um, inspired evolution, but actually to, you know, to, to, to live it. You know, I mean, um, call up our sleeves. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Thank you so much for that call to action and the call to arms, Daniel. Man, thank you so much for doing this with us here today. Sure. I genuinely really appreciate your time, your energy, your presence. Um, and on behalf of myself, the Inspired Evolution Tribe and audience, wishing you all the best. And uh, the links to your books will be in the show notes for those keen to check it out. Um, yeah, how soon is now? Is like our must read. Um, so the uh, Substack newsletter, Daniel Pinchbeck about Substack. Cool. I'll chuck that in there as well. Thank you so much for mentioning that. And uh, yeah, thank you so much on behalf of all of us. Thanks Have a great day. Thank you so much for tuning in to this amazing episode of the Inspired Evolution. Without you, the Inspired Evolution tribe, this podcast would not be what it is today. Thank you so much for your love and your support. Thank you so much for being so inspired to evolve. It's truly inspiring. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the Inspired Evolution on YouTube, the home of the Inspired Evolution's video podcast. We release inspiring conversations such as this every week, along with guided meditations and empowering insights all designed to help you grow and evolve. Honestly, your subscription on YouTube to the channel helps us out a great deal. And one of the other benefits, if you're having any insights or shifts from these episodes that you want to chat about, or if you'd like to leave myself or the guest a message, please do so in the comments on YouTube. I truly look forward to hearing from you. And as always, Tribe, remember to stay inspired and keep evolving. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.